It's hard to believe in some ways that we've arrived at the end of our series in the Gospel of Luke. Since the fall, week after week, we've come face to face with Jesus in this biography about his life, seeing him for who he is and what he did and what he taught and how that intersects and impacts our everyday lives. And now here we are uh, in the very last part of the story of Luke, the, taking a last look at the Jesus story. And today we are going to be in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And so grab a Bible, get this in front of you. We are going to pick up the story in Luke's gospel in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. This is what it says. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Okay, so Luke places us on this stretch of road between Jerusalem and this village called Emmaus on the same day that Jesus' followers found the tomb empty. The climactic moment of the Jesus story has just happened. We just celebrated that last week, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And now Luke brings us up close to two of Jesus' followers as they head home and are talking about all the events that just happened in Jerusalem. Now, walking and, and talking is a normal thing. We, we do it every day. It's a part of everyday life. But suddenly... This ordinary moment, this ordinary act is filled with the extraordinary as Jesus himself shows up and begins to walk alongside these two followers. The one who died and was buried in a tomb, he's not there anymore. Jesus has left the tomb behind. He is alive and this is both amazing and hard to believe. It's amazing because the claim of Christianity is that Jesus defeated death, the one thing that no one else has defeated, that Jesus really and truly died, and then he came back to life on a day in history, and that he appeared to his followers, that they could walk with him, and they shared meals with him, they touched him, they spoke with him, they hugged him, that this really happened, that it's not some myth or made-up story, that the claim of Christianity is that Easter actually happened. And that this Jesus that Luke tells us about, this Jesus that chooses to take a walk with his followers on the same day of his resurrection, really and truly died, is really and truly God, and he is really and truly alive. It's an amazing claim, but it's also hard to believe. I mean, someone dying and coming back to life never to die again? Yeah, that's hard to believe. I mean, Jesus being a great moral teacher, I mean, I can get on board with that, but this? Look, I, I get it. What happened at the empty tomb is both confusing and amazing. It stretches our comprehension. It challenges us with what's possible. And even in, in, in Luke 24, we see this wide range of responses to the, with the people who encounter the tomb for the very first time. We re see responses ranging from confusion to skepticism and unbelief, to sadness, to disillusionment, to amazement. There's this wide range of responses and emotions and feelings in response to the tomb being found empty. And yet, here is Jesus breaking into the world of his two followers 
It's surprising, it's amazing, it's confusing. It's all wrapped up into this one big package. And you know, it's not surprising that uh, when talking about the Easter moment, it's been said that Easter was when hope in person surprised the whole world. That this is a surprising yet true and historically true event and moment that Jesus is alive and he has drawn near to two of his followers. And it's interesting because Luke tells us that as Jesus draws near, they have no idea that it's actually Jesus who's with them. That they don't recognize him, that they have no idea that it's actually the risen Jesus who's walking with them. They think he's just another visitor in Jerusalem heading home and that he's showing up to start walking with them. Now, some scholars say that they were kept from recognizing Jesus by God, that they didn't recognize him because God uh, didn't allow them to see him for who he truly was, that God had a greater purpose in mind, and so he kept them from recognizing Jesus in this moment. Others say that Jesus' physical body was the same, and yet it was somehow different, that when he got up out of the tomb, His resurrection body was transformed, that there was something different about it. So he still had this normal human appearance, but he was somehow different. And because of that, the disciples couldn't connect the dots that this was Jesus. Still others say it's a mix of these things. And regardless of what that truly is or the reason behind it, the reality is is they, they don't recognize this as Jesus. They don't see who it truly is. And this is the beginning of a story that's going to end later. And we're going to get to that place. But what I want us to stop and think about is what if Jesus really did come back to life? How does that change things? Well, if it is true, then it really changes everything. See, one of the most amazing life-changing sounds that I've ever experienced uh, in my life is when I heard our two boys' first breath and first cries. Like there was so much emotion wrapped up into that moment. There was so much anticipation, so much excitement and and waiting for this moment when I would finally get to see Jack and Levi for the very first time. There's all this stress as you're watching your wife give birth and do this amazing thing. And it's all built up to this amazing moment when our boys arrived into the world and they took their first breath and I heard their first cry. See, there was something within me that changed in that moment. I can't explain it. It's just this love welled up within me. There was this shift in my life. There was a shift in the way I saw the world, a shift in the way that I saw everything. And if you're a parent, you get that sound. You know that feeling. But as good as that sound was and is, I really do believe there is a better sound. The first breath that Jesus took when God brought him back to life. Just imagine that sound for a second. Jesus is in the tomb and it's dark. There's no sound and there hasn't been a sound for three days. It's still. Jesus' lifeless body is there. And then, his first breath. Just imagine what that sound was like. What an amazing sound, the sound of hope and victory and new possibility and the possibility of new life. It's the sound of a new reality breaking into the world that Jesus is alive and he has accomplished everything that needed to be done so that you and I could truly live. That first breath means that we are living in an empty tomb world, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is near, and that Jesus does want to enter into your story and my story 
to journey with us, to help us see both the truth of the empty tomb and the reality of the one who got up and left the tomb behind. And so as this story starts, we have two followers of Jesus living their life on the journey from one place to another. Jesus shows up. We're living in an empty tomb world with all the possibilities and hope and victory of what Jesus accomplished being real in that moment. And that's where this story really gets going. Check it out in verse 17. It says this, and he, talking about Jesus, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? It's funny, Jesus knows what things, he experienced it, but he still asked the question. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they, that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. You know, it's fascinating how everything Cleopas says to Jesus is true, and yet he doesn't really see the full reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. I mean, look at this. Cleopas recounts the events that happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. He knows what happened. He might have even been there and seen some of it with his own eyes. And so he tells the events of what happened in Jerusalem back to Jesus. And then he also recognizes that there is something unique, something different about who Jesus is. He calls Jesus this mighty prophet, someone who spoke for God and did amazing things in God's power. Things we've seen in the Gospel of Luke, like how Jesus healed people or brought dead people back to life or how he turned water to wine and how he used his voice to calm a storm, how he walked on water, mind-blowing things that no one else could do, that Cleopas and these followers had seen Jesus and heard Jesus do these amazing things, teach and live with such authority and power and beauty. And something had been awakened in them. They, they began to hope that something big was going on with Jesus. And they began to believe that he was the one that God had promised he would send to rescue his people out from under the rule and the reign and suffering under Rome. But then Jesus had died. And even though they had heard the reports of the empty tomb, they were discouraged, disillusioned, wondering what had happened and how it had all gone so wrong. It left them with broken dreams and unfulfilled hope. And this is where Cleopas and his companion are here in this moment. And it feels and it sounds so human because it really is. I mean, I don't know what your story or where you're at. Maybe you're here today and you're discouraged because things haven't worked out like you hoped or thought they would. Maybe it was your marriage fell apart or you're not in the career you want or you didn't get that promotion that you wanted. Maybe something's going on with your kids or your finances or, or maybe you're in a season where you've been waiting your whole life to be married and then your wedding day can't look the way it's meant to because of all the restrictions that come with COVID. 
So maybe you're discouraged by things not coming through in the way you hoped, or maybe you had a dream that never became a reality, or you're waiting for your dream to come true, but it hasn't. Or maybe you trusted in someone to come through and they didn't, or at least they didn't come through in the way that you hoped they would. And so you're here today and you're discouraged, disillusioned, you have broken dreams, maybe even lost hope. And those feelings and those emotions are as real today as they were 2,000 years ago for Cleopas and his companion. And what I want you to see today is that Jesus is right there with them in the middle of all they're experiencing. Jesus isn't running from them as they feel discouragement or they're saddened by what's happened. He's not telling them to buck up, but he's with them in where they are at. And what I want us to see is that this means that Jesus is okay with the journey you are on. And he's willing to meet you right where you are. And he's willing to walk some miles with you. And he's willing to lead you to a better place. And so Jesus is willing to meet you right where you are. But here's the thing. He doesn't want you to stay there. See, Jesus moves both toward us to be with us and so that he can lead us to a destination he has in mind for us. And with Cleopas and his companion, this is exactly what Jesus does. Look at this in verse 25. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so for the first time in several verses, Jesus speaks and he calls it right out. He says, how slow to understand and believe you are. God has spoken to you about the Christ, the one that God promised he would send to rescue his people. He's spoken in his scriptures. He's revealed his plan, but you've missed it. You've missed it, Jesus says. Now here's the question. What did, what did they miss? What did... Israel miss? What did God's people miss? What did Cleopas and his companion? What are they missing in this moment? The answer is that the one that they were waiting for, the one that, that God had promised he would send, would have to suffer before there was glory. See, one scholar summarizes the issue that Jesus is addressing, the struggle, the problem that Jesus is addressing by saying this. He says, what was their basic problem? They did not believe that all that the prophets had written about the Messiah. That was the problem with most of the Jews in that day. They saw the Messiah as a conquering redeemer, but they did not see him as a suffering servant. As they read the Old Testament, they saw the glory, but not the suffering. The crown, but not the cross. And so God's plan all along was suffering, then resurrection. But God's people saw it differently. They saw that God would save them from suffering, not through suffering. In parts of the Bible before Jesus called the Old Testament, in places like Isaiah 53, a prophet that God spoke through, and elsewhere, this has been God's message that there was a suffering servant who was to come, someone who was going to take our wounds and take our stripes, and that through that, we would be healed. Even in Luke, Jesus has told his followers several times, I'm going to suffer, and then I'm going to rise again. Like in Luke 9, Verse 22, it says, the Son of Man, that's a title that Jesus used to refer to himself. 
the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Suffering, death, and resurrection was always a part of God's plan. Death was the price Jesus paid so you and I could be forgiven and free. But Israel had a hard time seeing that. They missed it. They saw it in part, but not in full. You know, it makes me think about this one time when I was playing junior hockey uh, in Vernon. Uh, we were assembled at the arena. We were packing up the bus to go uh, to play in trail. And at that time, I, I wore contacts a lot. And uh, as I was about to leave, I noticed that my contact had some dust in it or something was irritating it. And so I took out the contact and I was washing it in water because I didn't have any contact solution. And as I washed the contact, it it ripped apart in my hand. And my first thought was, oh no, like the bus is leaving. I don't have any extra context. Like, what am I going to do? And so I jumped on the bus and I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I realized that I am gonna have to play this hockey game with only one contact. And let me tell you, it was, it was horrible. It was one of the worst games I ever played. I got yelled at a lot by my coaches because that whole game I saw uh, it, through two lenses. On one side, it was clear and crisp, and I could see everything in, 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 in clarity, and it was beautiful. But on the other side, man, it was fuzzy and blurry, and nothing was, was in focus. My depth perception was off, and I had a hard time seeing anything and doing anything. It was brutal. And when it comes to Jesus and the Messiah, God's people had a similar experience that they saw in part but not in full who Jesus was. Now, some people saw and it changed their lives, but most didn't. And here in this moment, we see that Cleopas and his companion, they see Jesus in part, but not to the fullest reality of who he is. And now Jesus has come alongside them and now he is helping them to actually see not in part, but in full. And notice how he begins to do that. He does that by unpacking the story of Scripture, showing them how everything from start to finish in God's story points to him and is about him, about his coming, about his birth, about his death, about his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, where all things in heaven and earth and in the cosmos are under his feet with full authority and power. All of it, all the story of Scripture, and all points to Jesus and to Him suffering and rising again. And so when we look at the story of the Bible, what we see is that Jesus has unrivaled greatness and ultimate importance. He is the hero of the story. It is all about Jesus, and He wants His followers and us to see that and to be ushered into that reality. And so Jesus anchors them in the story of Scripture because there we can encounter Jesus and discover who he truly is. Now, at this point, the disciples' eyes, they're, they're still not opened. They are starting to see or maybe even experience a little bit that this person who's with them is a great teacher, that there's something different, but their eyes haven't been opened yet, but it's about to happen. And Luke starts to take us there next in verse 28. It says this, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he, Jesus, acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
So Cleopas and his companion, maybe out of a sense of cultural hospitality, maybe out of a, a bigger reason, they press Jesus to remain with them. They want to continue spending time with this stranger who has journeyed with them all throughout the day. And so this desire for Jesus to stay with them extends this journey and creates the opportunity for something more to happen. And that something more happens as Jesus shares a meal with his followers next. Verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Now that's crazy. He just disappears. Verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so the journey that Cleopas and his companion began in verse 16 ends in verse 31. Eyes that were closed become open to the full reality of who Jesus is. They see Jesus and they see that he is alive. And I want us to see that the catalyst for the eyes to be opened was an encounter with the risen Jesus. Which means that no matter who we are or what we believe to be true about Jesus, no matter what we believe to be true about the empty tomb, that the greatest evidence of the empty tomb is an encounter with the risen Jesus. That there is something that we can't replicate, something that we can't produce, but something that God in his grace provides for us, an encounter with him with Jesus that can change skepticism to belief, doubt to faith. And here the setting for that encounter is the table. And throughout Luke, the table is, is an important place because at the table, meals were the place where Jesus taught about himself and about how the kingdom of God works. Meals were the place where people of all kinds, those from every stra uh, social stratus of society, got together to experience a closeness closeness with Jesus, it was a place of intimacy and encounter with Jesus and whoever was at the table. And this table is no different because as Jesus breaks the bread, the, their, his disciples' eyes are opened and they can see what they couldn't see before. Eyes that were closed become open. Despair and discouragement turn to joy. Broken dreams become burning hearts. They are awakened to the truth of the empty tomb and the one who left the tomb behind. And from this moment on, Jesus' followers went out into the world with burning hearts, filled with the good news that Jesus is alive and Jesus is near. And a movement was launched that changed the world and continues changing the world to this very day. It's a movement that you and I can be a part of. And what I want us to see is that these burning hearts doesn't mean happy lives. See, it costs Jesus something to rescue us, and it's going to cost us something to follow our rescuer. I mean, just to look at just these followers of Jesus, many of them ended up dying for what they believed about Jesus. But they had something that not even death could take from them, a burning heart that came from knowing that Jesus is alive and he is near. Nothing could put that fire out, not death, not confusion, not skepticism, or disbelief that they encountered when they first saw the empty tomb. Nothing could keep that fire down because they had encountered the risen Jesus. 
And at the end of the day, this has been Luke's goal throughout his gospel, to introduce us to the person and the reality of Jesus, to help us see who Jesus is and what he did, to help us see that what God has planned, God has accomplished in Jesus, so that together with Jesus' followers here in this story and throughout all of time, the truth of the empty tomb would hit home for us and we'd be able to say together, the Lord has risen indeed. He is alive and he is near. And at the end of the day, no matter what I say, I can't prove to you that Jesus is alive, but Jesus can. And if we let him, Jesus will open our eyes to see what we can't see on our own, that he is alive, that he is near, and that that reality makes the difference, not just on Sunday, but every day.